0: Hi, I'm Shereen Pacheco, and you're listening to the Modern Retail Podcast, where I speak to executives leading the reinvention of retail. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Rebecca Taylor's president, Janice Sullivan. Hi, Janice. Hi, good morning. Good morning. We're so excited to have you here with us. Let's go all the way back, because linearity is my favorite thing. Four years ago-ish, right? Mm -hmm. You, I think, um, and I remember sort of we quoted you on this. You spoke about this quite a lot. You were sort of planning what you were calling kind of a revamp. Mm-hmm. of Rebecca Taylor the brand the company what did that mean at the time and what does that mean today
1: yeah sure i i think um i'm not so sure i would call it so much of a revamp as really sitting and um working with rebecca uh, who's the crea- who's a creative director and talking about like what was missing for her what what did the brand need where where um, where could we improve and where we, could we together take the brand? What things did she believe in? What things did she uh, feel less strongly about? And how could we get the brand into a better shape? It was one of those brands, um, and I think everyone kind of sees this. Uh, either you see a brand that looks great on social media and all the marketing, and you get the, to the product, and you're like, oh, Is this what it is? And then sometimes you see those brands and you're like, oh my gosh, this product is great. You know, they need need to have better, you know, marketing, better, uh, you know, images. And Rebecca Taylor was that brand. She had amazing product, but we weren't communicating to that, to the customer. So it was really about taking a look at uh, how could we get the message of what really Rebecca Taylor was and what she believed in and what the product stood for out to the to the customer. And just in doing that, just in really upgrading that story, I think we were really able to get the brand in a much better place. So let's break all
0: of that down because there's so many, so many interesting parts in that that I mean the first bit, and you just mentioned the word story. And I feel like, you know, Story's always been important, I think, to creating a brand, but especially today when sort of you're seeing this enormous upheaval in everything, everything in retail, not just apparel, not just certain categories. You're seeing enough people everywhere. There's new brands cropping up everywhere. Um, There's more brands I think I see new coming up than I've ever seen before. Every six months, it feels like there's a whole new crop of companies. And in that sort of almost chaotic and noisy atmosphere, the story becomes more important, right? Was that sort of part of the thinking when you were sitting down with Rebecca trying to figure that out? And what did you land on? What was going to, was the story going to be? And was that different from what it was in the
1: past? Um, I'm not so sure it was different for Rebecca. Rebecca always had a very clear vision. Right. And I I feel that um, and this happens a lot in companies. They're silos, right? So you have the retail team, you have the e team, you have the wholesale team, and they each had their own version of what, the brand story was. And each was crafted by the experience in their departments. So from a wholesale perspective, it was crafted by their wholesale partners. Um, on e it was crafted by customer response. And in, in retail, it was crafted by our customers. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was responding to the different parts of that story. So really, as a brand, you have to say to yourself, okay, you've you really have to stick with the brand vision. You really have to be true to that point of difference, that story that makes you and sets you apart from different brands. And if you can't articulate that as a brand, if you can't tell that clear story, then you're in trouble, I believe. So it was really about, one, getting from Rebecca getting her to articulate what made her different. And then it was really then getting all the teams together, making sure they understood the message and were all on the same page. And it sounds very easy, but it is very (laughs) hard. And of course, every person you bring into this company, you have to start over with that person and make sure that they really get the DNA of the brand. So for me, it's not so much the brand story, it's the DNA. What makes that brand so unique and special? And why is it here? So what was that? What is that? So for Rebecca Taylor, I think one of the things she starts with is, you know, that you can embrace your femininity and you can feel beautiful every day. And that doesn't mean compromising on being a cool person. So, you know, I think... Maybe back in the day, there was like cool people, and then there were feminine people, but they they didn't really cross over. But I think in you know in Rebecca Taylor, it's where that meets where cool meets femininity, and it's you know it's kind of like um, you know even the whole feminine perspective, right? The feminist perspective. It's okay now to be a feminine feminist. Mm -hmm. It wasn't maybe years ago. So it's that concept of getting that whole. It's okay to embrace ruffles and prints and femininity, but still be that cool downtown girl, right? You know, you didn't have to compromise. And so getting that story out there and making femininity cool. I really love that. And I love that idea of femininity be cool. Can can you talk a little bit more? Because you just mentioned this sort of,
0: you know, we are sort of culturally in a really interesting place where we can do that. I think a brand Mm -hmm. like that will not only be accepted, it'll be embraced. How did you look at, you know, being sort of running this brand and you were talking to Rebecca and then over the, you know, over the years that hap- this conversation happened and then the years that came by after, how did you sort of seek to look at that cultural zeitgeist really and make sure that it was then imbued in just marketing to begin with? Was there Were there any big changes you made? What were sort of some of the more transformative moves that you think really changed ha- the fact that the story always existed, this DNA existed, now it's got to show up in the marketing. People have got to understand it.
1: Yeah. And I think um, we talked a lot about that, right? So what did that mean? So it it started a lot with model choice, not maybe picking that perfect flowy feminine model, maybe somebody with a little bit more of an edge. Um, It had to do with you know, you have this long, flowy, beautiful dress, but she's wearing combat boots, you know, like, all of those small decisions um, really were key to getting that message across. It was like, pairing, the pairing of the accessories, the model, the background, how it all came together, uh, the dichotomy, um, being able to tell that story through our visual imagery. And there are a lot of people that come to the brand and they say, oh, it's so feminine. So, you know, um, because it is so feminine, we had to make sure everything else grounded it, right? And so, you know, the font had to be, you know, a lot of people came in and were like, oh, we should have a scripty font. And we're like, no, because then that would make it too, too feminine. It's got to be grounded by a bold sort of classic, you know, uh, font with this beautiful phone. So it was all these little decisions that you have to make from a visual perspective. Also, your communication, you know, it wasn't like, hey, gal, look what you need. <laughs> it was it's just very straightforward. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, again, that comes back to Rebecca's DNA. It's just straight up, you know, just tell it like it is, but in the background of this sort of very feminine feeling. How do you think of today's sort of your, like, what would you
0: call your advertising strategy is?
1: Um, I think we try and stay very consistent because the one thing about branding is you have to do it consistently. A long time. Um, And so, a lot of times, like your creatives will want to move off of it. And you're like, no, no, you know, we're still here. We're still at this point where we have to consistently tell the same message. And so, um, I think just in terms of impacting our strategies, we stick to digital. Uh, We don't have huge advertising budgets. Uh, We try and stretch everything we can with the budgets we do have. And really, Go after those channels that make sense for us, social and you know, and uh, you know, email marketing.
0: Do you feel like that? And that's really interesting because I did want to sort of go back. So we sort of covered kind of the DNA and story. That you started kind of retelling um, about four-ish years ago and continues on to today. Let's go back and now talk about the business model. Um, We've talked a lot about direct-to-consumer on this podcast. Um, I've ceased to understand now what it even means because people are now using it to mean literally just any brand that maybe sells online, but maybe doesn't. But I do know that one of the big things that the Rebecca Taylor brand had wanted to think about was, okay, how do we become more direct with our consumers? What does it mean to talk directly to your consumer? When you sort of started thinking about the company, how did you think of the business model changing? And what were the outside forces that you think were contributing the most or putting the most pressure on a brand like Rebecca Taylor?
1: Well, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's a question that a lot of brands like Rebecca Taylor who are mostly wholesale, right? So the most of our volume comes from our wholesale division. And so in wholesale, you're, you know, you're slightly one level away from your customer. You're not direct to your customers. You're one level away. And so I think that many companies start to gear their strategies to their wholesale partners rather than the end customer. And so that was a place I, I think we all fa- found ourselves in at Rebecca Taylor, and what we really started to do was step back from that, and you know we talked a lot about transformation management, and one of the transformations my management team did, and I'm so proud of everyone, is we decided we were going to put that customer, the customer, ultimate customer- in the center of every single decision we made. Mm-hmm. So in any type of, um, every, every type of question, every time, even IT questions, we really answered through the lens of the customer and just decided that every decision we make, we were gonna put her first. And if it didn't make sense for her, we weren't going to do it as a brand. And that was a real change for us because we, we weren't oriented in that way. And it was it was really change management. We all had to think and put the customer first at the forefront and really think through her lens constantly. So like a small example of this is in our stores, and we only have six stores. We're small. But they write up an end of day, what they call an end of day. Hmm. And they talk about their day in retail, who came in, what she picked, the whole experience. And so we just made that available to everyone in the company. Everyone reads the end of the day. So whether you're, it used to be just the retail team read the end of day. So and and now it's like a whole conversation. Like, oh, did you see what Aventura went through yesterday? Can you believe who walked in? You know, like we and everyone talks about it. And now she is truly at the center of everything we do.
0: That that's really interesting. And I I, I want to actually go back before we come back here because you said something earlier that said you know there was a time at which, and not just you, but almost every retail brand out there was thinking of almost not orienting to the customer. And again, it sounds simple, but hard. It's one of those mm-hmm. things, that, oh, we'll do it, but doing it, I assume was very, very difficult. What historically sort of was the impetus for that? Because I have heard so many, you know, execs from retail, retail at brands come on the show and say, you know, we've really decided and we had to put the customer first. And it was such, it was almost like pulling teeth. People were so inclined to talk about the wholesale relationship. They're talking about everything, but the person we were selling to. Was this because of, you know, these direct to consumer brands cropping up in the marketplace or what were sort of the forces around it that... Forced this change to happen, but also, why did we get there in the first place? Shouldn't the customer always have been first?
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a couple of things. I think there's a f- couple of influences. I think first was the proliferation of a lot of these online DTC brands, and what were they winning at? Right. So we looked at that and we said, "Gosh, they're they're solving consumer problems. They're looking at consumer issues, and they're they're going after that and really solving f- for that." for the consumer. And um, so you had that whole piece happening. You also had the wholesale piece weakening, right? People weren't are, going to malls, they're not going to department stores. So you you have that devolving while you have the rise of this. So you're taking a look at these two phenomena. you say, okay, well, I want to be on the winning side of this. I really, I need to be in the box that's solving for the customer. So that really started the conversation of like, let's focus on her. And so for us, it's her, but uh, for other people, it's him or they. Um, And so the other thing is, is you have a lot of people married to their own narrative in your company, right? IT is just looking at it from an IT perspective. You know, they don't interact with her every day. Um, and so getting your IT team to think about this, getting your, you know, your accounting team to really think about solving for the customer and getting everyone on board of really understanding what it means to put her in the center of everything we do. And reminding ourselves constantly that opening those conversations of, okay, how are we coming in today and making her life easier? Was the goal to
0: become less dependent on wholesale? Was the goal as a business to say, you know, it's better for us if we own the relationship, not just from the beginning of making the beautiful products to also selling them to then marketing to everything? What was the
1: end point of this as a business that you saw? I think it wasn't, um, I want to say it's not better for us because, you know, I think one of the things that we also need to realize is we we meet our customer, and particularly at Rebecca Taylor, about 65% of our volume comes from wholesale. Right. So we also had to recognize that that's our meeting point for her too. We can't ignore, uh, we have to speak directly to her through product and through um, through the efforts we make in our marketing and um, the beauty of our product. So whether it's wholesale or whether it's our own retail, I don't think one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think we all just learned whatever channel we're talking to her, we have to put her in the middle, it. Um, be it wholesale, e-com or retail. It all has to be one thing and we have to get our message across. We're going to talk a little bit more about
0: that, but we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Okay, so we've been talking a little bit about how it's not about being better. It's just kind of figuring out what that consumer wants and meeting them. And how to speak they, to her. And how to speak mm-hmm. to her. That's a great that's a great point because, you know, I think that, and I'd love for you to almost like take off your Rebecca Taylor hat for a minute, your figurative hat. She's not actually wearing a hat. Um, because <laughs> we've had so many, again, e-commerce or digitally native brands were born online pretty recently, last, you know, two years, three years, who are now realizing almost the opposite. I think a lot of them came into the business and said, Whether it was in beauty or apparel or or footwear or medicines, whatever it was, a lot of them came came into their industries and said, we think we can build a hundred million plus dollar business by just being e-commerce only. Maybe we'll open one store, but we will never do wholesale. Or some of them even said, we'll never even open stores. We'll just do online only. And now you're seeing almost a shift there where they've recognized that being direct to consumer doesn't actually literally mean being direct-to-consumer. They're going to have to, if they want to go, get into Amazon relationships. They're going to have to get into wholesale relationships. They're going to have to work with maybe department stores and whatever else. And they might have to do physical stores. So it's almost like the the those people are learning kind of this side of this lesson. And in some ways, I think more traditional or legacy, whatever you want to call them, retailers are learning the opposite thing, that you can't just be wholesale. You have to have your own owned and operated. When we think about one of the big conversations there has been around physical stores and their importance. You have six stores. Have you changed how you think of your stores as part of your business during this kind of transformative period?
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, uh, I think that everyone needs to look at their stores as and you hear this so many times, right, as an experiential. Uh, so I don't want to repeat that, but you cannot under, undermine the person-to-person contact and the human contact. And, you know, I've read a lot about like technology in stores. And yet in the boutique experience, I don't think she's coming in for a technology experience. I think <laughs> she just, she wants to be talked to. She wants to She wants a warm environment, in in our case, right? Um, She doesn't want some flashing lights and some AR holograms. She wants expertise. No, no, she doesn't (laughs) need to call another size from the dressing room. I mean, you know, it's a boutique experience. So she's coming in for human interaction. Shopping is still very much a social... a social construct, right? It's about people. It's about uh, coming to market. It's about an exchange of ideas. Um, so I think that remains at the heart of what we do at Rebecca Taylor. And we make sure that their experience, our customer's experience, is transformative as well. You know, we talk about the transformational um, trans- transformational aspect of Rebecca Teller clothes. They're quite feminine, quite beautiful. So a lot of times our customer will walk in, maybe she's coming in from the gym or she's out walking her dog and she comes in looking for maybe an event or a date night plus and you know, we can transform her. You know, she'll look in that mirror and she'll put on this item and we know we have her because she looks beautiful. Um, So that whole, uh, I want to say, atmosphere of experience and transformation is something that we really push in our uh, retail stores and making sure that our associates are really understanding everything about the product and being able to communicate the important points to our customer.
0: What I'm hearing is sort of like, we've made it too complicated in a way.
1: Or or the the narrative
0: became too complicated. Because there was, you're right. I mean, I think it has sort of largely fallen out of favor, but there was all this conversation maybe five years ago about the store of the future. It would have robots and then it would have I don't know if you remember those body metric scanning devices maybe eight (laughs) or ten years ago in Bloomingdale's that were frightening by the way, really scary. Um,
1: But maybe it's not that hard. It's no. again, simple, but hard. I think it goes back to the human piece there and really, um, you know, making sure that you have amazing associates, which, which we do. You know, I think also getting the right, you know, it's always goes down to people and making sure you have the right people and the people that really, again, telling the story that can go back to telling that story and making sure that they are uh, an extension of your brand. I want to talk about now
0: sort of two kind of other things you've done that I have found fascinating because they're also sort of part of what I think is making kind of we, you know, we named this podcast and our publication, Modern Retail, because I think it's not just retail. Also, it's also a lot of other things that are happening. And you're almost embodying it with, I think, sort of what you're doing with resale and with rental and with recollect. So can you, I think a lot of people might not know sort of what you've been doing, especially when it starts with sort of circular fashion. Can you talk a little bit about sort of that and why it's been so important to the brand?
1: Yeah, sure. Um. Again, putting that customer right in the center of what we do. We know that she loves to rent Rebecca Taylor. We've had a great relationship with Rent the Runway. We knew this was a big opportunity. And so when the model, Castle, was introduced, and Christine Hunsicker is the uh, founder of Castle, I heard her speak a chop Talk. And as she was talking, I was moving my seat over across the auditorium to where she would step down as a speaker because they always get crowded. Ooh, a classic move. Yeah, kind of like, and I really <laughs> wanted to go in and approach her, and I introduced myself, and I said I was from Rebecca Taylor, and um, we talked about it. So we were, I think we were the second um, mm-hmm. contemporary brand. It was like a couple of weeks be, uh, right after Vince um, that signed on. And for me, uh, this was like a no-brainer. It was. It's definitely the future. Uh, the rental makes so much sense to me, especially for our customer. Um, and so that was kind of the first piece we looked at, and it's been a great relationship, and uh, it'll continue to grow. It's small because you know as a brand we're small, but we do expect it to grow, and we're committed to growing it. Can, um, can I stop because I am curious? Because again, you did have amazing success with Rent the Runway, and
0: you can. There's still loads of Rebecca Taylor on Rent the Runway. Um,
1: Why did you want to also do it on your own? Because I think part of it's kind of like, why do you want your own little boutique store when you're in a Nordstrom? right? So you're part of a multi-brand platform. So to have our own little rental, to be able to create that Rebecca Taylor experience through rental was important to us. So we could really preserve the whole brand experience. And again, going back to tell the brand story through rental. So that was, you know, we knew that there was room for both. We're still highly successful on Rent the Runway. They're still amazing partners with us. Um, And yet we still have our own uh, world of Rebecca Taylor rental got it
0: okay so then let's talk about sort of recollect and mm-hmm. how that's
1: worked yeah so then that was the other thing you know um You know, again, when you talk about like why now, why do these things now? Why are they current? Is it the environment? Is it internally? And again, I I would say both, right? Just listening to what was going on out there in the world, and you know, again, myself being a participant in the real real, right? Um, I always had luxury handbags. I had shoes. I could never do clothes, but um, you know, so I had experiences there. Uh, I saw also what Eileen Fisher was doing in the space, and I thought you know there is really an opportunity to do branded resale in a in a luxury way or in a, in a elevated way and i felt that doing um, Resell through Rebecca Taylor would be a great experience and another opportunity for our customer to stay involved with the brand and to get in, and for some new customers to get involved with the brand. So when you say stay involved, sort of. You know, I'm hearing kind of retention. I mean, this is a way you're creating almost like a subscription
0: program, essentially.
1: No. Yeah, not really, but we have, so we have a lot of diehard Rebecca Taylor fans. Sure. They, have, you know, they have items in their closet, and maybe they, they haven't worn them in a while. So why not bring them in, um, get a credit, um, and be able to get something new, and then we'll take their item, we'll expose it online, we'll sell it, and then 50% of the proceeds go to um, carbon offsets, and 50% go back into expanding the program. Because it, you know, obviously, costs money to grow. Um, so, just you know, when I look at our customer and her demographic. And I I feel like all of the women in my office are that demographic. I feel like she's not the kind of person that has a lot of time to do a stoop sale, you know, or sell her clothes or run around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who has a stoop? stoop. But, you you know, like I don't, you know, it takes time to set up, uh, you know, these accounts and go around and maybe go into consignment shops. And I just didn't feel like that was her, her thing. So, but to have this really easy way that she could just, take some of her gently used product that she's had from us and bring it in and turn that into something different, um, I think uh, it would be exciting for her and exciting for us. It's almost, I mean, what it, with both kind of rental and
0: this, it, it feels like you're, what you're doing is you're obviously building a brand that is focused first and foremost on selling the beautiful clothes and that's it. Um, and then meeting the customer where they are and then bringing them into stores and helping them do that. And then you're layering almost these like services on top of it. These aren't meant to supplant the core business, but they're supplementary so that people stay in touch with the brand. Is that How do you think of these holistically? How do you think of, sort of retail, how it uh, then works with rental and then works with resale? How do you think of them together?
1: Um, I think, you know, a lot of people stay away from these channels because they're afraid of the negative impact of their brand. And I have to say, you cannot be afraid of that. If, you know, if you're going to be afraid, I think you're going to lose out. You have to try these things and you have to have faith that it's going to really enhance your brand, not impact it. And just this idea of taking Rebecca Taylor and all that it stands for and bringing it into rental and bringing it into resale and keeping it in an elevated brand format, um, I just think it just enhances the brand. It makes it... Uh, more relevant, hmm. and more current as to people how people really live their lives. You know, people don't wake up and say oh, it's October. I need an entire collection from Rebecca Taylor. I've got to buy the whole new, you know, people take some of their vintage pieces or older pieces in their closet that they love and they mix them in with a new collection. Um, Some people may not be able to afford Rebecca Taylor. So rental, but she loves the look and she loves the fashion. So rental works for them. uh, I was in one of our stores talking to a woman. She's like, I absolutely love Rebecca Taylor, but I have three kids in college. And my husband has forbidden me to buy anything full price. She's like, I love to hear about Recollect. I, you know, it's a, a way for me to really get, purchase the brand and keep my style. And yet, but my kids do college. So, you know, there were there were there are a lot of different stories as to how this will relate to people in their lives. And this is a woman who maybe. Um, came in and had no problems affording, but with three kids in college, we all know what that means. But <laughs> She's she can changed. still, yeah, we get her at different parts of her life. Not everyone, you know, you are you you know, you have different pressures on your financial situation throughout your life, whether it's buying a house and putting your kids through bars. So it's maybe we've kept her in a place where she might've gone someplace else. It's really interesting when you sort of describe
0: it that way, because I think for so many premium mid-premium, super-premium, whatever, premium brands, it's always been, you look, either you afford us or you don't. And, you know, if you can't afford us, go somewhere else. But what I'm hearing from you is that doesn't have to be the case. Maybe you are not in a state right now of your life where you want to buy something full price. So instead of almost saying, like, you know what, this isn't for us and we're going to retain this sort of, you know, alter up here of the brand and not talk to the people here or here or around it, we're just going to talk to everybody and give them, they can wear and buy Rebecca Taylor. They could do it sort of on their own terms versus on your terms. Exactly. It's, a, it's a very different way of thinking of like luxury or even just fashion or even premium. People haven't really thought about it this way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think in, again, uh, uh, in terms of retention, absolutely, you have that opportunity with the customer. And then also, there are a lot of younger women who love Rebecca Teller, but they could never afford it. So here's a whole opportunity that, you know, opens up an affordability to the brand that um, we maybe we wouldn't have been accessible uh, for full price for them.
0: I guess then... My only real thing is, you know, the argument was that, oh, the tarnishing of the brand image. that You shouldn't be able to buy, I mean, you know, all those old stories of people burning full price things because they didn't want them to ever get discounted. You shouldn't be able to buy X, Y, and Z brand at half price because it somehow diminishes the value of the brand. Do you worry about that or is that
1: just very old fashioned? I don't worry about it. And I do think it's old-fashioned. You know, I, I really do. I think that people have to be really open and fluid when they think about their business these days. I think that when you look at um, some of the luxury brands that have that, you know, opinion or, or um, follow that uh I, I understand that model. It's just not the model I feel that is speaks to people today. I don't think that's a very modern um, approach. And you are a modern brand. Which makes sense. Janice, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me.
0: And that's all for today's episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Pierre BnMA who also made our amazing theme music. If you like the show, please head to your iTunes store, search for a show, Modern Retail Podcast, leave us a review. And thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.